Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. This is The Rock Podcast, and I'm Denny Somak. As a rock historian, producer, and best-selling author... I've been conducting and collecting thousands of interviews over the years. There are great stories from my archives. We also have newly recorded conversations. That's what we have on this episode. Very excited because I got a hold of a true English rock god, Geezer Butler, founding member of Black Sabbath, one of the most influential bands of all time. He doesn't do many interviews, but he has a new autobiography out titled Into the Void, from birth to Black Sabbath and beyond. So he agreed to sit down and we had a great conversation. Geezer told a lot of inside stories that I know you'll enjoy hearing. Now, everybody knows Black Sabbath as they are a groundbreaking heavy metal band regarded by many as the most influential heavy metal band of all time. Formed in uh, Birmingham, England in 1968, the band's classic lineup consisted of Ozzy Osbourne on vocals, Tony Iommi on guitar, Bill Ward on drums, and Geezer Butler on bass. So here we go with our recent conversation with the legendary bassist, lyricist, and founding member of Black Sabbath. Are you there, Geezer? Okay, well, how are you doing today? Uh, a bit jet-lagged. I only got back from England yesterday. So, oh, Where are you today? In a place called Lapworth in England. You on vacation? Yeah, yeah. So obviously you're going out talking about your new book, and I know everybody's probably asking you, why did you write this book? I, I won't ask you that. I'll just say uh was one of the reasons you wanted to do the book so you had a record for your family, or is it something you just felt you needed to get out there? I started writing it uh, just for my grandkids because when my parents died, there was like tons of things that I wished I'd have I'd have asked them when they were alive. Right. But, uh, but it was too late. So initially I started writing this as a memoir for me kids to know how I grew up and how Sabbath became about and what happened after and about them and being a grandfather. And I finished that. My wife read it and she said, oh, you should do this as a book. And so I embellished it a bit more and then put it out as a book. Have your grandkids read it yet? No, they're too young. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but your wife said it was okay. Yeah, yeah, so far, yeah. I understand you had to submit it twice because of you're not that computer savvy or something like that? Yeah. There was just loads of things that you can't say these days. And um, so I gave it to the American publishers. They told me all the things that I couldn't say in the book. So I took all that out. Then mm -hmm. the English publishers got hold of it, and they said, well, you can't say any of that neither. So I had to take loads of stuff out of the book. Uh, and um, so it's like a, a bit of a uh, an edited version kind of thing. 
Is uh, is there anything you can tell me that you weren't allowed to put in? No, in case I get sued. Ah, oh, okay, that kind of stuff. So it's yeah. not about partying or life on the road or... No, none of that, no. It's just the uh, legal stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm trying to appeal to, you know, your hardcore base of fans, but also the new generation of uh, geezer Black Sabbath fans. So I hope you don't mind. I'm going to ask you some things that I'm sure you've been asked, but the way we do this, we're the number one rock podcast, by the way, in, in the United States. Uh, rock and talk. We don't play music, obviously. Um, so I'm going to ask you some things. Uh, I know that uh, you, when you started, you started on guitar and then switched to bass. I also know that uh, John Lennon had an influence on you. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah, well, the, when the Beatles came along, that was because um, I, I wasn't really into music until uh, until the Beatles came along. And they were my generation's, uh, like my brothers had Elvis, my sister had Cliff Richard. And when the Beatles came along, that was for my generation. And um, as soon as I saw them and found out that they came from Liverpool, which was 90 miles from where I was born, so it was almost local. Um, and I decided that's what I wanted to be for the rest of my life. I wanted to be another Beatle. And um, I started, uh, my brother bought me a guitar and I started learning all the Beatles songs on it. And eventually, when me and Ozzy got a band together, I switched to bass. And that's how, uh, how it was in Black Sabbath. Did you ever see the Beatles play live? Yeah, I saw them in 1960, I think it was 65 or 66, the very last uh, English tour. But you couldn't hear anything because of all the screaming and the, all the girls screaming. And they only played, I think, about half an hour. Yeah, they didn't play really big places, did they? Uh, only no, this was, this was the Odeon Theatre where oh. I saw them. What, what does the Odeon Theatre hold, you know? Well, it's a cinema, so it was about one and a half to 2,000 at the yeah. most. Uh, did you ever meet any of them eventually? I've met George Harrison and I've met Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. But um, And I almost spoke to Ringo because I was sitting right across the aisle from him on the plane coming over from England one time. And um, I, just, I didn't want to disturb him, so... Okay, so you know what it's like then when somebody is sitting near you in a plane and comes over and wants to talk. You know that feeling. Yeah, that's all you want to do when you get on a plane is go to sleep. Right. Okay. Uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, for those that don't know, um, what's Birmingham? what was Birmingham like back then? I know it was an industrial city, and I'm from an industrial area of Pennsylvania, so I have an idea of what that's like, but give me an idea. What's the Birmingham area like? And there have been so many musicians that have come out of there. It's a very working class area and it's where factories first, uh, that's where factories were invented. So it's from the industrial revolution onwards. And a lot of the uh, ammunition and uh, airplanes and stuff like that were built in Birmingham in the Second World War. So it got a, a really bad battering from the Luftwaffe in World War II. 
Right. So when I was growing up in the 50s, there was still lots of bombed out buildings from the World War II because it still hadn't been built up or anything. So, yeah, it's mainly working class. Now there's now it's, uh, it's a lot of immigration to, to uh, Birmingham. Right. Uh, my family were Irish. Right. And now there's a lot of uh, Pakistani and uh, Bangladeshi and Indian people that live in Birmingham now. And what were some of the bands, I don't mean from the 50s, but in the 60s that were happening? I know the animals came out of there. What were some of the bands that came out of there and that you may have seen before Black Sabbath? Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. um, I saw Cream, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I saw loads of different bands because it was a very musical area in Birmingham. And, you know, all the big bands used to stop there. And back then, they'd play like small clubs or, as I say, uh, cinemas or theatres. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you got up close to them. And uh, that's where um, I switched to bass after seeing Jack Bruce with Cream. I saw him at this place called Mother's. It was a club in Birmingham. And um saw Cream there. And I couldn't believe what I was looking at when Jack Bruce was playing. And I, I just went, that's what I want to do. I want to play bass. Did you ever get the opportunity to meet Jack Bruce? I met him once um, at uh, the NAM thing in, you know, where they do the guitars and right. everything. I just okay. met him there and he was a really nice guy. Okay. Now, um, I just want to remind people that your autobiography, Into the Void, From Birth to Black Sabbath and Beyond, is the name of the book. Uh, it's just recently come out. You're you're pleased with the way it worked out? Yeah, mainly. Um, I was surprised at how much I couldn't say in it. But, uh, you know, I suppose that's how things are these days. But, uh, you know, I'm satisfied, really, with uh, the final thing. Yeah. Now, there's some other books that have been written about you that have come out. Have you ever had a chance to see any of them? Uh, no, I don't really bother. So let, let me just, uh, I'm just going to jump around a little bit. Um, I heard a story, and I heard this from, although it hasn't been clarified unless I missed it in the book. When you got signed in America, I was told by Joe Smith, who at the time was the president of Warner Brothers. Do you remember Joe Smith? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. He told me he was driving down Sunset, and he saw this line around, I think it was the Whiskey, and he said, what's going on there? I don't know who that band is, but I'm going to sign them. Is that how you got signed? We don't know because our manager took care of all that and we didn't even know how much we, we were signed for or anything because we were badly ripped off back in the 70s. Okay, well, just so you know, if you write a follow-up, that's what happened. Joe Smith, President of Warner Brothers, was coming back from a meeting went by the whiskey, I think it was the whiskey, and he said, I just saw this line around the block and this thing that said Black Sabbath, and I just told my people, go sign that band. I don't even need to hear anything. This is unbelievable. So that's <laughs> how you got signed. They got in touch with your manager, and that's the beginning of Black Sabbath in America. Yeah, yeah. Now, you well, had a controversial early manager. I just would like to get a few comments on Don Arden, who uh, most people have read things about, uh, and he's also Sharon's father. But 
what do you think uh, some comments about Don Arden that you won't get in trouble for? Because most things have been said about him. Um, well, he was a notorious gangster in, he was called the gangster, the godfather of uh, rock over here because he was he had like really um, gangster-like methods, the way he got bands and he famously hung uh, Robert Stigwood, the Bee Gees manager, out of the window because he tried to because Robert Stigwood tried to steal one of Don's bands. And when we first went to see him, he got he showed us this con. He wanted to sign us, and he saw, showed us this contract. And there was a space where the uh, management percentage was supposed to be, and it was blank. Mm. And I says, "Well, how much are we supposed to be paying you?" And he went. Oh, don't worry about that. I'll fill that part in later. And I said, well, can you fill how much you'll be getting your percentage in now? And he wouldn't do it. So we sort of went to this other manager who was probably even worse. <laughs> and, um, but we we went, we went were off and on with Don. Don. When, uh, when Ozzy left, when Ian Gillen joined the band, Don right. Arden was our manager at that time. And he got us quite a good deal back then. But... Um, yeah, he was. It was hit, hit and miss with Don. So he was sort of what you needed at the time, I guess. Um, well, we didn't go with him at the when he, when he wouldn't fill his uh, contract thing in. But uh, the person that introduced us to Don went with this other manager who eventually managed us, and then we found out later that this other guy was uh, the only English. Uh, person to be recognized by the italian mafia so uh do you remember when the first uh, album came out and the first time you heard a black sabbath song on the radio yeah we were driving up to a gig in manchester in england and there used to be every saturday there was a top uh top 20 album charts came on uh mm -hmm. top 40 album charts Right. And we were driving up to Manchester and we were listening to the album charts like we always did. And uh, it says, and in at 28, Black Sabbath. And we, we couldn't believe it because all the press had slagged us to death in England. And um, and there it was, our first album, straight in the charts in the first week. What was the song? Um, it's probably NIB. Now, uh, you're mainly noticed not just the bass player but the main lyricist in the band so you've had a hand in in most of the songs how did you nobody else wanted to write lyrics or you were just the best one Ozzy Ozzy initially wrote uh, a couple of lyrics um and then he sort of ran out of things to write about so I took over and then Every time we'd come with a new song, then they expected me to write the lyrics. So, um, so I did. And do you remember the first song that you wrote for Black Sabbath? Um, that that would be NIB as well. Oh, okay. So when did uh, when did the uh, the other songs on on that album did they come pretty fast, or did did you have to wait for Tony to write music? How does that work? Well, the first one came because we used to do these. Uh, ridiculously long uh spots and clubs we used to have to when we did the star club and the clubs around europe we used to have to play seven sets a night each set being 45 minutes long 
So after the first two sets, you'd have run out of uh, songs. So we used to jam for like five, the, the rest of the five sets. And that's the way we wrote uh, most of the first and second album was from jamming and at these clubs that we had to play at. So I'm going to ask you about a couple of specific songs. If you could just uh, comment on them, that would be great. Uh, actually, the the song Black Sabbath, which is where you got the name of the band from, that's from a, a movie, correct? Yeah, yeah, the name Black Sabbath, yeah. And uh, what kind of an impression did that movie have on you in order to write that song? I didn't actually see it because I was oh. too young at the time. Cause it was a horror movie in um, in England, and it was mm -hmm. an X, and I was only 14 at the time. But my brother went to see it, and he was telling me all about it, and it fascinated me, and always because my brother had seen it, always wanted to see it. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the title of it stuck in my mind, and I always thought, if I'm ever in a band, that's what I'm going to call the band Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And that's how it came about. What about War Pigs? That was initially from, we used to play American army bases around Germany, and we used to meet the soldiers that were coming back from Vietnam, and they'd stop at a halfway house kind of thing in Germany and before they went back to uh, home in America. And they used to tell us about the horrors of the war in Vietnam, all the things they had to go through and a lot of drugs that they had to take and ought to get through it. And and um, all this stuff that was never shown on television or on radio or anything, I, I was hearing it directly from the soldiers that were coming back. And um, when we wrote War Pigs, that's what the uh, lyrics were based on. Do you consider Iron Man to be the ultimate Black Sabbath song? Um. Either that or War Pigs or Paranoid, they seem to be the three songs that um, a lot of other bands either learn when they, you know, when they're first starting out, or um, I think Iron Man's probably the most recognised riff, and it's quite uh, a lot of people learn that as the first riff that they they ever learn because you know it's quite a simple riff and. That's probably the most well-known, yeah. Anything about writing that song that you want to share? Well, it was initially, I, I was uh, raised a very strict Catholic, and um, the, it wasn't about Jesus, but it was about it was, it was based on when Jesus went into Jeru Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday that became, mm -hmm. and uh, he was welcomed into uh, Jerusalem. And then by the end of the week, they were crucifying him. And that sort of gave me the inspiration to write Iron Man, somebody that goes, uh, sees the future of the world, comes back and tells people what the future's going to hold. Mm -hmm. But instead of forgiving them like Jesus does, because uh, people turn on him and he gets his revenge rather than forgiving everybody. Okay. What about uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath? Which was also the name, also the name of an album, but as this as a song. I think that was about the management at the time, because mm -hmm. uh, we, we were trying to get away from the management because we knew we were being ripped off, and that's what the uh, album was. About. I mean, the, that song was about. When did you first realize that you had made it, so to speak? Um, probably around the volume after Master of Reality. 
because that's when we were established everywhere. Actually, it took us because America is a massive place. It takes a long time to get established from coast to coast, and Europe and Australia and all that kind of thing it takes quite a while. So it was probably just after Master of Reality or around the Volume Four time that we'd we'd done really well all over the world. Helped sold millions of albums. All our tours were selling out. Mm-hmm. And so it was around probably 1974. Okay. Now, do you, uh, you people know, obviously, that the band has uh, broken up a few times and gotten back together and had different uh, different singers. Aside from Ozzy, who was your favorite singer? Definitely uh, Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio. Amazing singer, isn't he? He was incredible, absolutely incredible. And the most professional musician I've ever worked with because he'd never let anything stop him from doing a song that night. Mm. He'd never let the crowd down. And he was great with the fans as well. He'd hang around gigs for hours talking to the fans. Um, He was just so professional, and especially when he had uh, stomach cancer and he was like in in agony going on stage, but it would, he'd never let it affect his performance or his voice. I, I absolutely agree with you because I remember uh, seeing him play upstate Pennsylvania and in New York when he was in a band called the Electric Elves, later to be known <laughs> as Elf. Yeah. One of the most, I mean, he would hang around. People didn't really know who he was. The first album had just come out and he is a, Exactly as you just stated, very warm and personable. Yeah, he really was, and a great friend as well. Yeah. What was the band like when Ian Gillen was in it? Um, that was sort of forced on us because uh, it wasn't supposed to be called Black Sabbath. That band is like because it's like a meeting of Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. Right. We all thought it was going to be like you know. It's, either a totally different name or a Iomi Gillen Butler band or something. And um, <clears throat> but the record company wouldn't have it. They insisted that it comes out as a Black Sabbath album. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of any of us really believed that it was Black Sabbath. And it wasn't it wasn't the best lineup, put it like that. It just, uh, yeah, it just wasn't the same. No, and then when, as soon as Gillen got the opportunity to go back to Deep Purple, he, t- he did. Now, uh, I know you've done a, a farewell tour, quote-unquote. I know you, you've stated that you're retired, so I won't push you on that. But um, are you glad that you ended the shows in Birmingham? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's the ideal place for us to finish. And there was people from all over the world came to see us at that gig. Originally, the tour was supposed to be 100 shows, um, but Tony was being treated for his lymphoma and he had to keep going back to England for treatment all the time. So we had to cut it cut it down from 100 shows to 82 shows, which meant we finished in Birmingham, our hometown. Could you give us, uh, please, your version of the uh, the Bill Ward, why he didn't participate in the end? Well, that was out of my hands. I, I honestly still don't know what happened. Um, I went away. We were rehearsing. We were doing the album, writing the songs for the album 13. 
Mm-hmm. And we had a break. I went to Hawaii with my wife for a couple of weeks and came back from Hawaii and Bill was was no longer in the band. Mm-hmm. And I heard different stories about why he wasn't. So, uh, you know, I don't know which one's the truth. Okay. So uh, at the end there, you, you work with Rick Rubin. What was that like? Um, it was very strange. He, he did... He did well with Ozzy, but uh, he didn't really do anything for me and Tony. It's just, or if we did a song, we'd record a song and then he'd go, Yeah, that was great. Do it again. And we'd like, Do it again. And then he'd go, That was absolutely brilliant. Do it, do another one. And we'd go, Why? What's wrong with that one? And he'd go, um, Well, just try another one. So you try another one. Go, yeah, but I think you can do another one. And he never gave us a, a proper answer at why it wasn't good enough. And then, it, 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 as usual, the first version was always the one that we went with. And uh, we got a bit fed up of it. But apparently, it worked well with Ozzy. Who would you really... rather have worked with on that uh, final album? Is there anybody well, in particular? Or did you want to produce it yourself? Well, the best producer we worked with was Martin Birch. Uh, he did uh, Fleetwood Mac and Iron Maiden. And the Heaven and Hell and, and Mob Rules albums of, of of Sabbath, and he was absolutely brilliant, great to get on with, lots of ideas. Um, but unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He passed away, so we couldn't use him. And um, obviously, Rick Rubin's got this name that record companies love you to have him producing your albums so you know it gives it prestige or whatever so we just went with rick so are you pretty much aware of uh the other bands that cite you as a major influence it seems like um every metal band we've ever spoken to seems to cite us as their influence mm-hmm. you don't particularly like the the name heavy metal band do you not really, no, because at first it was uh, derogatory. It was from a, an interview that we did. Uh, we played a gig in, a, I can't remember which part of America it was, and the review the next day said, this isn't music, it's just like a load of heavy metal being banged together. <laughs> and, <laughs> and by the time we got to England, they were quoting us as a heavy metal band, so, you know, it was really weird. Yeah, well, you you got lumped into then, like the founders of heavy metal, Uriah Heep, Led Zeppelin, uh, maybe Deep Purple, you know. But those are, you know, whenever people talk about that, you're always included in that list. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We always thought ourselves a hard rock or heavy rock band. Did you ever uh, think, uh, who were your rivals then? Was it Led Zeppelin? Weren't really rivals. I mean, they, they were... Uh, friends of ours so we, we didn't really think about rivals and they were more blues based anyway than us so yeah All right. now I know you say you're retired but are, th- are there any songs in the can or is it possible there'll be some some future albums to come of earlier stuff or some other compilations or things or are you pretty much satisfied that whatever came out should have come out yeah, I'm satisfied with you know what we've already done, what's already been put out. So, what what's the story? Because I was asked a couple of times about the jam with Led Zeppelin and the supposedly uh, Black Zeppelin album. 
Oh, they, as I said, they're friends of ours. Uh, Robert Plant and John Bonham live near where we lived. And um, they came down to the studio this one time when we were doing, uh, I think it was Sabotage. We just decided to have a jam and we told the engineer un un under no circumstances was he to record it. So I'm not sure whether he did or not. Well, I've, I've never heard uh, I've never heard it since. So um, you know, I doubt it's out there anywhere. But the rumor persists. Now the rumor persists that hasn't been released, but somebody's got it. That's what. That's what I'm sure they put it on YouTube by now. So um, we're talking uh, with Geezer Butler, his new book "Into the Void: From uh, Birth to Black Sabbath and Beyond." What uh, what are your uh, plans now? You're not going to have a side band or do another solo album, or um, I'm I'm probably I'm going to have the rest of this year off for a start and see what how bored I get after that. I've still got tons of tons of ideas, but right. it'll take me take me months to go through them all. So, what does an English rock god do as a hobby? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask the English rock god. I do a lot of reading, if if you're meaning me. Yeah. And lots and lots of reading. I'm like a chain reader. I always have to have a book on the go. Um, and I collect old uh, vintage toys, T-O-Y-S, uh, like uh, Batman stuff and things like that. Right. Um, I used to collect a lot of comics. So, uh, but I don't do that anymore. So, uh, mainly just reading books. Do you go see movies? Do you go see anything like the Marvel movies if you're into comics? Um, I used to go and see them, but I don't really go now. They're just, it's just so many of them. Just, right. uh, um, no, I usually just watch, I don't go to the movies, I just watch things at home now. Mm -hmm. Cable. Now, I'll, I'll, we'll wrap up here in a minute, but, um, if you could go back looking over your career because you had to do it while you were writing the book, what are some of the things you would have changed? I mean, other than maybe a manager, <laughs> um, is there anything that you want to talk about that maybe you would have changed or done differently? Um, well, I'd like to have been more of a business person when we first started, but of course, you know, we didn't know anything about the music business or any business according to as far as that goes, mm -hmm. but I do wish that we'd got a, a lawyer and, a, and an accountant right from the start um, so that we wouldn't have been so badly ripped off in the 70s like we were. So I think that's about the only change I've made, but, um, you know, I've had a great life, so it's not much I would change. What are uh, what are some of the places that you've played around the world that really blew you away? Um. I like Singapore. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the way how clean and everything was there. Not great people. Australia was interesting. Uh, Japan. Um, I was surprised at Japan at how uh, built up everything is. Uh, there's not really that much countryside that you get to. Um, and of course, America, which is my home now. So love it there. Yeah, where do you live? Do you live in Nevada or Utah? Yeah, I've got a house in Nevada and a house in Utah because uh -huh. it gets too it gets too hot in Nevada in the summer, so we go up to Utah. Right, and uh, you you still have your place in England? 
Yeah, yeah. And and how far is that from where you grew up? It's not that far. It's about uh, 15 miles away. Right. 15, 20 miles out in the country. Yeah. Do you still uh, you still listen to music, other people's music? Um, not a lot, no. I mean, I do compilations, but it's mainly like old stuff, like nostalgic stuff from the 60s and 70s, things that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And then I'll like listen to an occasional thing, but I'll listen to like maybe one or two songs from somebody, but I'll, I won't listen to a whole album. And do you ever feel like uh, getting up when you you're out somewhere and jamming with the local band? Uh, no. no. <laughs> Are you familiar with with all the Black Sabbath cover bands? Correct. Um, some of them. Yeah. Um, not all of them. What's your feeling about that? Um, good, good for them. You know, it's a good, uh, good songs to learn. Uh, good songs to learn your, your future stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you know when we used to play blues music, it was a good base for us to progress from that. So when you were when you were uh, growing up, what blues music were you listening to? American blues, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They used to have uh, these, because blues became really big in England and it wasn't in America. And so a lot of the, the, the old blues musicians came over to England and they used to do these package tours. So you get Sonny Boy Williamson and um, Brownie McGee and all these great American blues uh, people. That, And you'd see like about, there'd be about 10 different uh people on right. on this one package so you get to know all the kinds of different kinds of blues chicago blues southern blues all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i always love robert johnson as well right all right well i really appreciate you taking time i'm going to ask you one more question what's in your record collection record collection yeah gosh um you still play vinyl or not i don't play anything i just uh download things on iTunes and play them when I'm driving. I don't really listen when I'm at home. Just usually when I'm on a long drive from Nevada to up to Utah. Well, listen, uh, I want to wish you a lot of luck with the book. I think it was uh, very well written. Oh, thank you very much. Very sincere. And um, I hope at some point as a, many other people do that you'll decide to do some sort of music in the future. You won't totally rule it out. Although I know you're retired, I'm not going to push you, but uh, you know, there's a lot of people that would like to hear more from you. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Geezer. Thank you very much for talking to us. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime. Okay. Great. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. That's my conversation with Geezer Butler, a founding member bassist and chief lyricist for Black Sabbath. I hope you like what you heard. Please tell your friends. We're available on all the usual platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. And we have a video version on YouTube as well. You can also sign up to our channel and you'll be notified when a new episode is released. And of course, it's free, no charge. It's just a lot of great rock and roll stories. The Rock Podcast is the number one podcast for classic rock. So thanks for listening. 
Find us at the website, therockpodcast.com, and we have a Facebook page. You can send your comments, questions, suggestions, contact me, whatever you want me to talk about. Hello at therockpodcast.com is our address. Hello at therockpodcast.com. I read it all, love hearing from you. Till next time, I'm Denny Somak, and that's it for this episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.